the religious right in post-Christian America. Now, Dreyer's going to quote from a piece from November uh, of last year by Joshua Tate, T-A-I-T, the growing religious secular rift on the illiberal right. Christianity's emphasis on forgiveness, suffering, the meek, and the poor runs total counter, totally counter to the tendencies of the new right and national conservatism. I thought that this part that Dreyer quoted, though, was operative. See if you agree or disagree with the following, okay? That's the exercise. Quote, Meanwhile, another narrative about the new right has been taking hold, advanced most provocatively by Nate Hockman, a self-declared conservative insider, who has always begun eulogizing, or has already begun eulogizing the religious right. I'm going to stop right there and say that that's the problem, the religious right. Because it's not a Christendom right. I'll, I'll leave that there. Back to the quote. Citing the decline in church attendance and the membership nationally, but also within the GOP and the growth of the nuns, 29 cent Americans in 2021, Hockman argues that, quote, the conservative political project is no longer specifically Christian. Overturning Roe is more of a last gasp than a sign of strength. We're going to close on that quote. But continuing the story quote. Hockman probably over-eggs the numbers. Something like 80% of Republican voters and leaners believe in God. And 61% uh, 61% say religion is very important in their life. But Hockman does get something right. The hardening of the right-wing discourse and agenda and a parallel decline in orthodox religiosity. He cites Ron DeSantis, Christopher Rufo, and Tucker Carlson. As right-wing elites who, while not necessarily secular, don't bear the marks of a deep faith tradition. Infamously, among primary voters, Trump was the candidate of voters with a folk religion rather than dedicated churchgoers. That shouldn't be a surprise, actually. In the New Right Coalition, Hockman argues, the religious right are, quote, partners rather than leaders. Close quote. That's interesting. Drawing on the late uh, dissident and disowned right-wing thinker Samuel Francis. Now, anyone who calls Samuel Francis someone who's disowned has a screw loose in their head. Let me just leave that there. Samuel Francis. Hockman argues that from here out, social conservatism will mean race relations, identity politics, immigration, and the teaching of American history. Issues like school prayer, no-fault divorce, and homosexuality are non-starters, with apologies to the theological arguments put forth by Moeller. Critically, the new right won't restore Christians to their preeminent place in public life, but it may have an actual chance at winning, Hockman concludes. Given the poor performance of ballot measures aimed at restricting abortion this November, Republican strategists are probably learning this lesson right now. Each of the social issues Hockman highlights as key for the secular social conservatism has pretty clear parallels in the conservative past. The brouhaha over critical race theory is on a continuum with school busing, affirmative action and desegregation, and even the cannon wars of the 1990s. 
Homosexuality and no-fault divorce might be closed questions, but the term woke clearly encompasses feminism, deconstructions of gender identity, and queer, especially trans, rights. Far from new topics, these issues have long histories on the right. I don't know what this guy is talking about. In other words, what Hockman actually appears to have struck upon is the long-standing marginal status of explicitly religious conservatives. Like most of the illiberal right, what Hockman is dismissing is the George W. Bush era of conservatism, the heyday of religiously informed conservatism. And that's the end of the, of the quote. George W. Bush was not a religious conservative. I don't even know that the guy was a, quote, conservative, close quote, to begin with. As a matter of fact, let me just go ahead and say he wasn't. He was a war-mongering Zionist neocon. Just happened to be from Texas. Don't ever forget, George W. Bush appointed Harriet Myers to the Supreme Court. Had Harriet Myers gone on to confirmation, then Antonin Scalia would not be on the court. I'm sorry, not Scalia, Alito. Then Samuel Alito would not be on the court. Let me repeat that. Bush appointed Harriet Myers. You know who talked him out of that? Do you know who ultimately talked Bush out of withdrawing the nomination for Harriet Myers? And I heard this from someone that knew. Uh, so don't go looking this up. And, I need a source in all my TKD and I demand it. Kine. Kine. I don't have a source. You have to take my word for it. Kay Bailey Hutchinson, even though she was buddies with Harriet Myers and she's the one that introduced her, Kay Bailey was getting an earful from Texas Republicans and going like, has he lost his ever-loving mind? And Kay Bailey is the one that told him, dude, you need to withdraw. Well, she was a Texan. You need to, as much as I love Harriet, she ain't, she is not Supreme Court justice material. You need to withdraw her nomination, and Bush ultimately did. But to the point here, and this is what I wanted to, to, to talk about here, a little bit of a history lesson. Play, before Briggs gets here, play digital media file. This is the difference between uh, the Mike Church Show and the rest of the talk radio mafia that remains out there. Play d -d 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 number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Now, this is Patrick J. Buchanan in 1991. So this is the McNeil Lehrer uh, News Hour. I don't see John. Uh, uh, I don't see John uh, John McNeil there. So this is oh, I forget his first name. This is Lehrer. This is Lehrer asking the question. Now the whole thing is about anti-Semitism. Now this is what an actual conservative who who does believe that the church has a role to play that is more significant in government than the state does. This is Buchanan's response to being called an anti-Semite and to being investigated with, uh, under an entire issue of William F. Buckley's CIA-controlled William F. Buckley's National Review for In Search of Anti-Semitism. This is how you do it.
You've also said that Congress is a, uh, an Israeli-occupied territory. Now, what do you mean by that? I said on the McLaughlin Group, in response to a question, Jim, they said, do you think that the Congress of the United States will resist this demand for further aid? I said, threw out a crack at her. I said, no, the Congress of the United States is Israeli-occupied territory. What I meant by that is the most powerful lobby in Washington which Congress can't stand up to, one of the most powerful, is certainly the pro-Israeli lobby. It has gotten its way in this town year in and year out. And I don't think the automatic votes of the Congress of the United States for three and four billion dollars worth of aid to Israel are necessarily in the national interest of the United States. And that comment, which is to ridicule the subservience of the Congress of the United States, is perfectly valid. I do not believe my government should subsidize Israeli socialism which we have done, and I do not believe we should subsidize a policy on the West Bank of the Jordan River which denies the Palestinian people rights which I support from Lithuania to Croatia. But if I also believe that Pat Buchanan is entitled to stand up and speak out if he, against any kind of political lobby, whether it's the Greek lobby, aid for Greece, or whether it's the pro-Israeli lobby, aid for Israel, without being called vile names. And and you think that's what's happened to you? Let me tell you something, Jim. Jim when this Lair, this Jim little Lair's flap is 18 months old. Well, just I made this Buckley's, crack. I know, I know Buckley's talking about an 18-month-old column. Right, Let's forget right. that. When this broke, I made that wiseacre crack about the Amen Corner. It was wiseacre, and it was very funny. You know what happened <laughs> as a consequence of that? People called my newspapers that carried my column and said, Drop Buchanan. AIPAC listed five conservative columnists who were accepted. Uh, the, the Jewish uh, the, No, the pro-Israeli lobby. Pro-Israeli right. lobby. I went out to speak in the country, and a little girl from the junior league said, I get these horrible calls from New York about you. Uh, people, there are individuals who are pro-Israeli, go around the country and speak in synagogues and say, call CNN and get Pat Buchanan taken off the air. Those kinds of tactics, in my judgment, are un-American. They are done in the name of the First Amendment, and they violate the spirit of the First Amendment. You know me. I've been in this town for 25 years, 30 years. I am controversial. I am sometimes insensitive. I am tough, and I am hard. But I think that this type of thing is beyond the pale. Uh, that's what you do. Buchanan, so what did Buchanan go, yeah, I wrote it, yeah, I said it, so what? If I want to oppose the Greek lobby, I should have the right to oppose the Greek lobby. If I want to oppose the Israeli lobby, I'll oppose the damn Israeli lobby. And all these people like Thomas Massey keep saying, I voted against the resolution to censure Rashida Tlaib, and I don't like Rashida Tlaib either. Um, uh, I don't think we should be censoring people because they oppose things that are in front of a Congress. You know, uh, folks, this is what Nazis do. This is what Stalinists do. March in lockstep and just go like, we are all in this together. We must all agree Israel is the greatest country. Jews rule the world. White people are evil and must be exterminated unless they look like Jewish people. Please send $13 billion to Israel to carry this out. If you oppose, we will bury you. We will come after you and we will see that you never, that you, that you exist no longer and are not able to swim in our swimming pool. This is in 1991. That's 32 years ago. That's Patrick J. Buchanan. This is before he runs to challenge Pappy Bush going like, I'm not going to take this. I am not a, quote, anti-Semite. I, I, I keep going back to this. 
You must marvel at the enemy's skill. Yesterday, I asked you to consider and marvel about the, the success of Marx and his heirs. The South American continent from Chile, from the tip of South America, in the Straits of Magellan, all the way to the Rio Grande, for a couple of hundred years, was free, for the most part, of diabolically inspired human and child sacrifice. And there were thousands upon thousands, if not millions, of souls that became saints. That was the legacy of the so-called conquistadors and those evil people that came over here from Spain and from Europe and spread their disease. And then, you know what else they spread? They spread the gospel. Millions were converted. Millions were baptized. Not millions, tens of millions. And it lasted all the way up until the last century uh, through fits and starts. And yes, it's just like anything else because men are fallen. We are products of the fall. Um, uh, it wasn't until the socialist Marxist came through and began to amass power that the whole thing uh, began to unravel. You look at what's going on in parts of Mexico. They're going back to the days where they were executing children and live human beings. They're not, just, they're not ripping their hearts out of their chest. Now they're just cutting their heads off and throwing them in trash bags. This is the legacy of the, of, of, the, of the Santa Muerta. Socialist cartels that are running now, again, from the, now, there are pockets of resistance in between. But you have to marvel at what the enemy has been able to do. Similarly, here in the United States, you have to marvel at what the enemy is able to do. They are actually able to try and shut down and they nearly got away with it. I'd have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for you meddling kids. A multi-bazillion dollar entity known as TWADA, as X. Folks, this kind of stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum, and it doesn't happen by accident. You might say at the end of the day that the, uh, that the libtard leftist is pretty good at what he does. And again, if you go back and you and you follow this uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the this conquest, is it not anything short of absolutely amazing? Again, go go get a globe out. Go look at the Straits of Magellan. T trace the Straits of Magellan all the way to the Rio Grande. That was basically Spanish, French, Catholics. Now, what are they? They're fire-breathing, sodomite-loving, abortion-pimping, right back where they were before the con so-called conquistadors. Happened in less than a century. Like that. That is nothing short of amazing. Now, if you want to extend past the Rio Grande and go all the way to the North Pole because of us and the Canadians, go right ahead. I won't argue with you. The point being here, the enemy is good at this. Look at what they're trying to do to Musk. 
you know, you read the story and you go like, wait a minute, media matters. Okay, David Brock's not at Media Matters any longer. Uh, he was the founder of Media Matters, uh, and Brock was just a detestable human being. But remember, we covered the story ye- yesterday. I'm going like, I read Elon's tweets. I didn't see you know, on X. I didn't see anti-Semitism. I didn't see it. Where was it? Well, apparently it wasn't there. Apparently Media Matters basically invented it and then sent it to Apple and went, see, look what we found. Look at what we found. And I say, and I look at that and say, look at what we found. And when you hear the story, you go like, these people, (laughs) these people don't play. There's an old old saying in war, uh, offer no quarter. That was pre-Christianity. You're supposed to offer quarter. They don't offer any quarter. This is kill or be killed stuff. So that's where we are here today. 